Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Well, the amount that remains in this book is getting real skinny. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. About finished our fourth piece of Harry Potter pie. <laughs> and I'm getting full, but I'm still hungry. <laughs> okay. We, I, I feel the need to say we're a little squirrely. And if we sound congested or throaty, it's because our trees are trying to kill us <laughs> with their sperm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't have the Rona. We just both have the pollen flu. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Hey favor. Hey favor, if you will. But I'm I'm having that old Kentucky cure. Can you hear that? Ooh. Delicious. Kelly Moore starts beating up with sweat on the brow. <laughs> She's like, something smells like home. I smell bourbon. <laughs> okay. Also, we're squirrely because we're covering two pretty dark chapters yes that had you pretty shook yes and you're reading first it comes down to this said hermione (laughs) rubbing her forehead (laughs) either mr crouch attacked victor or somebody else attacked both of them when victor wasn't looking it must have been crouch said ron at once (laughs) that's why he was gone when harry and dumbledore got there he'd done a runner i don't think so said harry shaking his head he seemed really weak. I don't reckon he was up to disapparating or anything. You can't disapparate on the Hogwarts grounds, haven't I told you enough times? Said Hermione. Okay, how's this for a theory? Said Ron excitedly. Crumb attacked Crouch. No, wait for it. And then stunned himself. And Mr. Crouch evaporated, did he? Said Hermione coldly. Oh, yeah. I, I love that you just randomly decide to do voices sometimes. <laughs> okay. Dumbledore was standing over the pensive, his face lit from beneath by its silvery spots of light, looking older than ever. He stared at Harry for a moment and then said, 
Good luck with the third task. Ooh, that was good. That was a good sound effect you just made for with now your mouth. I will be doing the sound effects for the show. Oh, okay. All right. You know, I haven't, I, I did realize I have been woefully neglecting the Hedwig's Digital Get Down Hoot. I don't know why I keep forgetting. You have. So it ends now. What are you like? What am I like? So I was wondering whether I should save this for the end of the episode or the beginning of the oh episode. Oh my. Um, <laughs> this seems like an impossible <laughs> question to answer. <laughs> this is not a question. Okay. This is a statement. I'm getting in my pulpit. You know how it happens sometimes. Okay. I have to say that these two chapters could very well be the high water mark of solidifying my love for the series so far. Wow. So I've had a lot of time to think about the chapters that we've read. Yeah. Because a lot of times we'll read the chapters and then immediately record. Yeah. And this time we read them and then give it about 24 hours or so, yeah. let it marinate. Because we were too stuffy. <laughs> yeah. Because of, <laughs> because of our stuffiness. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> We did. I just realized we didn't name the chapters because that's a big statement to make. And so the chapters that we are covering, they're called 29 and 30, <laughs> 29, the dream and 30, the pensive or pensive. It, it, there's some debate about how it's pronounced. Yeah. I just don't like pensive. So the high watermark of solidifying your love for this series. Yeah. So what I feel like is I'm completely so in right now okay. that there's no way even if this podcast did not exist there's no way that i would not finish these books wow and you know that i'm the type of person that i'll get off the train oh yeah i'll go three seasons into something and then go that's eh, not selling it for me i'm off absolutely you did that with lost yes yeah and i've done that with a few different things yeah but i'm really in it to win it I think as far as like my love for it. And also I start, I'm starting to feel a true emotional connection to the fandom that will mm. never be undone as far as like how I see it. And I think it's because the literature itself opens itself up to allowing you to bring so much of your own personal ethic and life and stuff yeah. into it. That's what makes it fun. That's what we've talked about for a year now. Yeah. But it's only recently, and I don't know why these two chapters really hit it home for me, have I felt like this is a fandom that I can embrace, that mm -hmm. I belong in, that I want to be a part of. Yeah. I think we're at a turning point with my love for this series. The fandom is happy to have you. I don't think that I thought it was this good. Wow. I'm just like, I'm thinking back to our first episode and I, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but at one point I remember you kind of asking me like, what are your hesitations about doing this? And, and I just remember going like, I'm afraid you're not going to love it. Yeah. Like, I'm afraid you're not, I, I'm not, I don't think you're going to hate it, but I'm afraid you're just not going to really think it's that good. And I guess my fear walking into it was... I'm going to see everything that's coming. Yeah. Like this is some kid's thing. Yeah. And so it's going to be like, oh, let me guess what happens next. Then our hero does this. Then the villain does this. And it has not been the case. Definitely I not. never imagined it to be such a mystery 
novel type of situation. Oh, absolutely. And if I could, if I like said, I'll give you a million dollars if you can tell me how this book that we don't have that much left is going to unfold for the remainder, there's absolutely no way in hell you would ever get it. And not because you're not smart enough, but because you just wouldn't ever get it. I think these two chapters are really going to involve a lot of talking about how JK writes, at least from my perspective. Definitely. I actually went back and read these two chapters again. Yeah. This is the first time this has happened to me Mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure that I was fully embraced in the tone of what's going on. And we'll talk a little bit more as we get in about JK's talent at creating the tone for the story. It's a very tonal couple of chapters. Is that an appropriate use of that word? Tonal? Tonal? I think I would say it's very tone loke or Tony Tony Tony. <laughs> what does what song does Tone Loke sing? Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, funky Cole Medina. Funky Cole Medina. Isn't that Tone Loke? So we kick off chapter 29, The Dream. Just like you you read in your wonderful voices, the trio's kind of debriefing. They're in the Owlery. Harry has a shit ton to tell them. And remember, in the last chapter, Dumbledore had said, please just go back to your room tonight. Like, I know you're going to want to write serious about this. You know, I'm not saying that, but that's what I'm saying. Please just wait until tomorrow. And Harry does that. You know, he goes back to his room. But now they're going to send this letter to Sirius explaining everything that's going on. And Hermione and Ron are asking a bunch of questions. Ron, it sounds like to me, is also very suspicious of Crumb, just like you were. Yes. Although Ron is a little more personally motivated in this instance, yeah. too. You know, what struck jelly. me about this is the way that she we are the golden trio as the audience. Yeah, I've said this a lot. And she checks in with us like she hammers us with a lot of information and a lot of speculation, a little bit of breadcrumbs, a little bit of revealing a little bit more. And then we get to meet up and we have these flag posts kind of that are these meetings between the trio and the questions that they ask themselves. It's almost like she's telling the reader, hey. Just to make sure you're following along, these are the questions you need to be asking right now. Definitely. But I think she does it in a non-spoon-feeding way, which is nice because I hate being spoon-fed by an author. Or I I think a lot of times they do this, uh, playwrights do this. Like a really shitty play is one where the characters on stage are describing the action because the audience is clearly going to be too dumb to get this. Yeah, it's called telegraphing. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And you know what I always call it? The rub and tug. The rub and tug. This is Glenn in The Walking Dead underneath the dumpster. I know. Stupidest thing I've ever seen on television. I know. That is another one you got off the train with, by the way, Walking Dead. I don't think you were alone in that. A lot of people just walked right off. You were like, no, okay, bye. So where are we? (laughs) Syracuse? That's fine. Sure, I'll just get off here. Exactly. I think Harry makes a really good point here in this conversation, by the way. Because I really related to Ron when, you know, basically Harry's telling them a bunch of shit that 
there's like no way that this is good news, this whole thing with Crouch, right? Like it, there's something ominous about this. But Ron's like, well, you know, I know he said that Voldemort was getting stronger, but I mean, he was out of his mind. You know, he's probably just raving. That's me. Like I'm the person who tries to help you see the reason why it's probably not so bad. Yes, you even really though, are. You know, person. in this case, it kind of is. But Harry makes the point that that was actually the time when he was most lucid was when he was talking about Voldemort. This, the times when he seemed really crazy were the times when he was, you know, confused about where he was and thought he was talking to Percy. And the stuff he was saying was kind of inconsequential. When he was actually looking at Harry and engaging with him, that's when he was saying the scary shit. You know, I think that was a really good point for Harry to make and to sort of deduce. I, I see why Moody thinks he would make a good aura. Yeah, it also felt to me like whatever curse that Crouch is under, which that's what I think is going on. I think he's under a pretty powerful curse. He himself is so powerful because think about it. He's a really powerful auror that he's not an auror. He's not an auror. No, Crouch is not an auror. He works at the ministry, but he is not an auror. He was the head of magical law enforcement, which is technically a different department. Well, there's something I feel like he's fighting through this curse somehow. Okay. I don't know if it's like a weakness in the curse or a strength within Crouch that's right. allowing him to, as he's being drowned by the curse, poke his head above water and say, Harry, shit, listen, wow. you need to tell Dumbledore something. Hello, Percy. How are you, sir? Interesting. Like, Kind of like a fight sort of thing. Yeah, it's very strange. And I mean, I think we can definitely deduce what we know about Crouch's history He's got to be a pretty powerful wizard to have gained the status that he did within the ministry. You know, I mean, you figure like if you think about our government, we may disagree with a lot of people who are higher up in the government, but they're not dumb people. You know, they are skilled in some way, depending on what department they're in. Yeah, they're except for one. People, except for one. <laughs> Which let's let's all just be honest <laughs> here. Let's let's call a spade at, a spade. Look at you, Ben Clark. <laughs> oh my god he's in a sixers hat right now like no doubt (laughs) i know him and his the spider who lives under his porch named gerald because we did learn (laughs) in the three zoom sticks that australia is just as terrifying as we thought it was so here's something i want to consider before we move on okay previously it probably not even in this book but it was discussed that during this whole crazy time right where Tom Riddle has become Voldemort. Muggles are being killed. There's a giant civil war. There's all this stuff going on. This is when Crouch is in his heyday of arresting people, but being a little sadistic about it and all this. Yeah. We've already been told that the imperious curse was so rampant Mm. that you didn't know if people were acting out of their own volition mm-hmm. or whether they were underneath some sort of curse it makes me wonder mm. if crouch's entire career post rising to the point that he got to yeah was all imperious curse interesting him torturing death eaters him arresting evil wizards right him putting his own son in prison right wondering if he was under a curse himself during that time mm. and if so what a great out it would have been for the other side to sacrifice some of their own. Ooh, oh, wow. To have this guy underneath a curse because he's another pawn in their game. 
you know, with that theory, the question, the inevitable question is who would be the caster of that imperious curse? Whoever's very high up in the followers of Voldemort. Gotcha. Death Eater. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. I mean. He's a patsy. We are coming into, like, in a big way, the home stretch of this book. And this, I think, in my opinion, Goblet of Fire is a particularly satisfying book in the sense that you get so many questions answered. Does it then raise other questions that are series long? Yeah. Of course. But I think you're going to find this a really satisfying experience as we get into the end. Remember when I got really paranoid because Crouch was not at the Quidditch World Cup? Right. And Winky was there. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he shows up when the dark mark hits the sky. And right. I was like, yeah, where you been, pal? Right. Kind of convenient for you to show up now. Now I'm wondering if all of it he was being framed. Wow. The dark mark thing. All of it. Wow. Oh, Krauss God. is being used as a pawn in the game. Mm. There's definitely something major going on with Crouch for sure. So it's no surprise that these three are really spending some time trying to wrap their brains around this. They're soon joined by Fred and George. Jorge. Jorge. Fred and Jorge, yes. who are coming up the stairs, you know, real cash, talking about blackmail. <laughs> I think it's important to read what the one brother said okay. to the other brother. Okay, we, then one of us needs to be one and one of us needs to be the other. That's the only way okay. it makes sense. Okay, so... We'll start. Somebody was climbing the steps up to the gallery. Harry could hear two voices arguing, coming closer and closer. That's blackmail, that is. We could get into a lot of trouble for that. We've tried being polite. It's time to play dirty like him. He wouldn't like the Ministry of Magic knowing what he did. I'm telling you, if you put that in writing, it's blackmail. Yeah, and you won't be complaining if we get a nice fat payoff, will you? Ooh, ooh. What do you think this is about? all of our British listeners cringe. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you cannot do Fred and George in American accents. I know. That's just criminal. What are your thoughts about this? Because we get Fred and George coming up with this this conversation that they obviously don't know is being overheard. But then we've got this kind of standoff between the twins and the trio, and everyone has secrets they're trying to keep, and everyone is suspicious of everyone else. And it reminded me of uh, any fans of The Office are going to know the episode where they play this game, and like you end up with like Michael and Dwight, and I think Andy all just like pointing finger guns at each other. It's trust me, fans of The Office know what I'm talking yeah. about. It's the classic: everyone has a gun on everyone else. Exactly. Yes. And no one is giving anything up. It's just a standoff. They're like, what are you guys doing here? I don't know. What are you doing here? We're sending a letter. What are you doing here? We're sending a letter. This early in the morning? I mean, like Hermione and George or Hermione and Fred say it at literally the exact same time. What were your thoughts about this? My ultimate theory, I'm going to save for my prophecy. Okay. Spoiler alert. Okay. But what I think story-wise is that this is another instance in which we have a lot of little side character arcs and stories and stuff going on. And Fred and George have been this kind of fun ancillary thing, right? Yeah, they sort of show up within the plot, but they're not absolutely necessary. Right. But we've also learned that J.K. doesn't write unnecessary characters. True. Or put any sort of unnecessary conversations in. Right. And Fred and George have had this weird hover around 
the main story thing going on just the way that Neville has. Mm. And we learn some Neville information in these two chapters. Yeah, we do. He's the same way. I think this is the beginning of her bringing them into the fold of the story. Okay. Well, and we learn a little tiny bit about Fred and George here because after they leave, you know, the trio are basically, Harry and Hermione are going, okay, but they wouldn't do anything illegal. And Ron's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with them lately. They're really obsessed with money lately is what he says. And he mentions this joke shop idea that they have. So their own family member is going, I'm like concerned about this. He says they're serious about this joke shop. They know that they're going to graduate in a year Mm -hmm. and they don't have a lot of prospects. And dad's not a rich dude. Yeah. And they know that they need gold to back this shop. They're like, yeah. And I mean, this is like our Fred and George, like, Flipping weed so they can open up Sonic. <laughs> like, what's happening right now? Well, you know, whatever it is, Ron is concerned. I do really like Ron's brotherly concern here because, you know, they basically tell him, like, you know, this is none of your business. And Ron is like, if you're blackmailing someone, it is my business. You're my family. Like, if you're doing something illegal, that's my business. Not because I'm being nosy, but because I'm your brother. I just think it's a really good moment from Ron. So, you know, that remains a question mark. I guess we'll hear more about that in the prophecy. Yeah, you will. Harry's next objective is, of course, to check in with Moody. Because he's like, well, Moody was sent to go find Crouch. We should probably ask him if he found him. You know, we don't know. Maybe he found the guy. So they go and find Moody, and Moody's looking kind of rough. He's looking tired. Like they are. Like they are. he's been up all night hunting down Crouch in the damn Forbidden Forest, for all we know. Exactly. And he says he didn't find him. You know, Harry's like, did you find Crouch? He's like, nope, didn't find Crouch. So he's clearly stressed. He's clearly tired. And his advice to Harry, even though he kind of entertains this conversation with them, you know, this sort of like, okay, well, yeah, but did you think about this sort of conversation? But at the end of the day, he's like, I know you three like to play detective, but here's my advice to you. You need to focus on this task that's coming up, which I love that Harry had essentially forgotten about it. (laughs) He was like, oh yeah, I have a task coming up. For the third time. (laughs) For the third time. It's valid advice from Moody. I like that he doesn't just shut the three of them down and be like, um, children, let the grownups handle this. Like he he does indulge in this conversation a little bit. But at the end of the day, he does kind of say, why don't you let us worry about this? Dumbledore's on it. We know what we're doing. You need to focus on you right now. I want to give you an aside, as I often do, with oh, about God. my personal life. Okay. Who I imagine Moody as. There's a character okay. from my real life that kind of like embodies Moody. Is this someone I know? No. Oh, okay. This was when I was growing up in my neighborhood. Me and my best friend, Eric, who lived like six houses down. About four houses down from him was this old guy named Carrington. Right? Carrington. And he was a poet. And he had some published poetry. Like, we could find it if we... Went down the rabbit hole. But he had a beard. He kind of looked like a hermit. Yard overgrown. Never really came out of his house. Mm. Once a month or so, there was like a daughter or something that would come bring him stuff. What? But he was pretty elusive. And he just stayed in this house. And he's like, this is like little Edward Scissorhands suburban type of homes. And 
my buddy Eric would talk to him sometime. And he's like, yeah, that's Carrington. He's like kind of crazy, but he's pretty cool. So one day around age 14, 15, we started chatting up Carrington in his yard and were invited into his house. Now, this oh wasn't my. like an inappropriate thing, you know. <laughs> we just were like, yeah, let's go hang out with this old guy. Sure. So we go into his house and there's just books and papers everywhere. It looks, the dude looks like Ernest Hemingway and lives in a house that looks like Ernest Hemingway's okay. house. Like papers and pens. He's a writer. He's a poet. There's books everywhere. And there were boxes and boxes of empty cigar boxes. And he would constantly smoke cigars. And this was the first time we'd ever talked to this guy. This is kind of like um, Kevin in Home Alone mm. with the guy that oh, shovels yeah. The, yeah. the walkway. The you salt. know how they were like afraid of him? Yes. This is what that guy kind of looked like. And we went to his house one day and he read us a few excerpts of poetry that he had written and a few other like famous poems and stuff. And he was actually like way more lucid and intelligent than we like thought he was in our minds. Okay. But he sort of talked like this. What? Like an old sea captain? Yeah. He talked like an old sea captain. He'd say, <laughs> now here's a bit of Hemingway that perhaps you've never heard. Oh my. A little Jimmy Durante in there too, which Definitely. you know I love. Yes, I do know that you're a big fan. But he was such a character and it was like we were watching this cartoon in front of us. Oh, that's And cool. we kind of wanted to get the hell out of there at sure. the same time. Like, okay, we've been here an hour. We've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, probably totally unnecessary story, but, but it's this cool. is who my moody is. He's like, Carrington. He's yeah. like, Harry, just focus on your third task. But like here's it. a bit of Walt Whitman before you go. <laughs> I like it, though. I mean, that's the whole, that's the beauty of the series is that you access your own memory and you find like, oh, Moody really sounds a lot like this guy that I remember yeah. from my childhood. I think that's really cool. Wasn't that the point of Dorothy when right. she came back? Right. And she was like, you were there. You were there. All of the characters were her uncles. Yeah. They were the people in her life. Fun fact, I hate The Wizard of Oz. I think it's because it scares you. It's really terrifying. Yes. It's a really terrifying movie. So Harry does take Moody's advice and starts getting a little bit more serious about, you know, prepping for this task. I see what you did there. Gets a little more serious about yeah. it. <laughs> because we do get a response from Sirius right at the top of, of this kind of portion of the chapter. Can we get your serious to read this You want letter? me to get my serious? I love serious? your serious. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't even remember what my serious sounds like. <clears throat> I am still laughing me. I have allergies today. <clears throat> Harry, <laughs> what do you think you're playing at? Walking off into the forest with Victor <laughs> Crumb. I'm so good. All right. <clears throat> Harry, what do you think you're playing at? Walking off into the Why is it so deep? Walking off into the forest with Victor. I can't do this. Hang on. No more normal voice. Oh, yeah. I want you to swear by return, Owl, that you are not going to go walking with anyone else at night. There is somebody... <laughs> I don't know why he's so mad. There is somebody highly dangerous at Hogwarts. It is clear to me that they wanted to stop Crouch seeing Dumbledore and you were probably feet away from them in the dark. You could have been killed. 
You're named and get into the Goblet of Fire by a... All of a sudden, he's Mercutio. <laughs> I'm also wagging my finger. You can't see this, but I'm wagging my finger as I do this. Your name didn't get into the Goblet of Fire by accident. If someone's trying to attack you, they're on their last chance. Stay close to Ron and Hermione. Do not leave Gryffindor Tower after hours and arm yourself for the third task. Practice stunning and disarming. A few hexes wouldn't go amiss either. There's nothing you can do about Crouch. Keep your head down and look after yourself. I'm waiting for your letter giving me your word that you won't stray out of bounds again. X's and O's. Serious. <laughs> Serious. Orion Black. P.S. Have you watched Avatar Airbender? <laughs> it's a really lovely cartoon. And it just dropped on Netflix. <laughs> I told you. Squirrely. So... I told you that we would get into JK's beautiful way that she handles tone. Yes. So the events leading up to Trelawney's class, mm. and then the big thing that happens in Trelawney's class, which is why this chapter is called The Dream, I think she does such a great job of putting you in the atmosphere. Ooh. And there's also a little part that I want to read. Okay. So, yes, point me to the examples of this. So Ron and Harry are on their way to Trelawney's class, which mm -hmm. we know is this weird, incense-filled, crazy place. Right. See you at dinner, said Hermione, and she set off for arithmetic while Harry and Ron headed toward North Tower and divination. Broad strips of dazzling gold sunlight fell across the corridor from the high windows. The sky outside was so brightly blue it looked as though it had been enameled. Mm. So beautiful, right? Yeah. And then it goes on to say... The dimly lit room was sweltering hot. The fumes from the perfumed fire were heavier than ever. Harry's head swam as he made his way over to one of the curtain windows. While Professor Trelawney was looking the other way, disentangling her shawl from a lamp, he opened it an inch or so and settled back in his chintz armchair so that a soft breeze played across his face. It was extremely comfortable. Mm. You get this, like, dreamy... They basically stayed up way too late yeah. the night before. Yeah. And now he's going into this super hot classroom and there's all this perfume going on, this little breeze. <sighs> and it's kind of putting you in a spell as the reader, the way that Harry is also kind of being put under a spell. Definitely. This is one of those moments where I wonder if Hogwarts itself is kind of alive. It seems to be. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where I think. That what Harry's giving off, he's getting back from the school itself. The atmosphere itself is kind of playing into like the magic of what's going on. Wow, that's so powerful. And I can feel exactly what this is too, right? When the air is stifling and you get like a breeze of relief, suddenly the combination of those two things is infinitely more comfortable than if the temperature had just been right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something about the relief of the coolness that I think sets you more in a more relaxed mindset. I would definitely fall asleep. So here. I want to remind you of something in our real lives and ask you if it matches what this feeling is that we're talking about. Oh my about. God, okay. So every year, 
we go to the Blueberry Festival. Blueberry Festival. Down in Burgall, North Carolina, yep. which is a lot of fun. So it's this fun. tiny little Mayberry, Andy Griffith type of little town. Yeah. It has a little sleepy town square. And there's this huge Blueberry Festival. And there's food and vendors and all this stuff. But there's an antique shop that is mm. right there on the corner that's mm-hmm. open during the festival. And generally, our routine is we go there early. We mm-hmm. look at the fancy cars and stuff. We maybe go get a beer. We walk around and shop a little bit. At some point, we get some food. And then to cap our day off, we go into that antique store. Yeah. And when we walk in there, it's usually sweltering hot outside. It's so 95, hot. like, with humidity pr- approaching 97, 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Easily. And you walk in, and the place's air conditioning... But it's only air conditioned as much as you can during that type of heat. <laughs> yeah. So it's cooler. And then you walk upstairs and there's like fans whirring and it smells like old furniture. Oh, my God. And it seems like time has just stood completely still. <sighs> and you could just crawl up in a corner and just go to sleep. It's so great because it's not just the juxtaposition of like the air conditioning when it's sweltering hot outside and we've usually been outside long enough that we're sweating and so then you hit the air conditioner which cools off the sweat on your skin and so it's like even cooler but also we've been walking around and usually at that point my legs kind of hurt my feet kind of hurt and there's like a ton of chairs because it's a freaking antique store and you can sit down and you're cool and you have some relief for your feet. And it's just, that is magic. Yeah. It's and you magic. feel completely alive. Yeah. But also like ready for a nap. <laughs> you typically are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Someone else who's ready for a nap is uh, Mr. Harry James Potter. Oh, God. Nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. Ding, 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 ding. Ten points to Hufflepuff. So Harry falls asleep, and why don't you tell us about, like, what this dream, what happens in this dream? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's my challenge. I'm putting my book away, and I'm going to tell you just in Amanda language this from like my memory. This is like drunk history Harry Potter. It is. This is like drunk history Harry's dream. All right. So this is just based on my memory. I'm not even looking at my notes. Harry is, like, riding on the back of an eagle owl. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Right? And this is all like seems very normal to him because he's asleep and he's in a dream and everything seems normal when you're in a dream. And his like the way I picture it, he's like seeing a bird's eye view (laughs) of the eagle owl's flight, which goes like in through the window of this house. And then he's like in this room and your boy Voldy's there. Well, there's a high back chair. Okay, right. So he just where have we seen this before? Frank Bryce's crib. (gasps) Yeah, which was another thing that Harry saw. We also see your boy Wormtail, who's like on the ground, you know, shuddering, and he's just pitiful and pathetic and the worst. And this high pitched voice is saying, I'm not going to feed you to Nagini because your blunder didn't cost us all that much. He is dead. Nagini is there. Nagini is there. And then he's like, 
But don't worry, Nagini, you can eat Harry Potter. <laughs> That's my drunk history of Harry's dream. <laughs> what and I then guess? there's a fourth character, Exhibit. What? From MTV Cribs. <laughs> And he's like, we heard you like snakes, so we put a giant snake in your house. And that shit ain't Frank Bryce. So this is what I wanted to ask you. Okay. I mean, I can't fairly ask you this because you know the answers to everything. Sure, yeah. But I'll tell you what I thought. Maybe I shouldn't ask you what you think. I'll tell you what I thought. Okay. I immediately was like, oh, is this a continuation Ooh. of the situation that happened that Frank Bryce, when he walked in, Nagini mm -hmm. slid past him into the room. Mm -hmm. Voldemort's in a high back chair. Mm -hmm. He's talking to Pettigrew. This whole thing. Is this either a continuation of that conversation mm -hmm. or is this another conversation that's happening in that same house? Right. Like Voldemort's hiding out in this old farmhouse. And I guess like it's definitely unclear whether this is some kind of vision of things that have already happened, right? Like you're saying if it's a continuation of where Harry's previous dream left off, then that would be if it's something that really happened, something that happened months ago at this point, right? The continuation of it. Or is this something that's happening now? Is it live? Or, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is a very fair question to have. And so what happens is Voldemort is talking to... Pettigrew mm -hmm. and he's like you basically screwed this thing up Ooh. but it's okay right right you screwed it up but it's okay because he's dead right who's dead right it's a fair I question think it's crouch you think it's crouch that doesn't sound good he also tortures Pettigrew he uses the, the cruciatus. cruciatus curse on him, just like real. I love that there's no exclamation point. It's not crucio, he yelled. It's just crucio. He's like, fuck you. I'm going to yeah. torture you now. He's so cold yeah. that he has zero feeling. He can just torture this guy in front Absolutely. of him. Absolutely. I'll tell you something I always found really interesting. I'm, and this is by no means a unique thought to me. This is a conversation a lot of people have. The fact that he calls Pettigrew Wormtail. Because remember where Wormtail comes from yeah. as a nickname. Why does he call him that? Why doesn't he call him Peter? Right. Or Pettigrew? Why does he call him the nickname that his friends who he betrayed gave him? So Harry wakes up. Scar a blazing. Scar is a blazing. And I feel like he he gets the sense immediately that he didn't just like doze off and have a crazy dream and wake up. He was like not looking well because Ron is next to him like, dude, what the fuck is he going had on? A seizure. He basically like had some kind of seizure like fit. I mean, everyone in the room, it says when he kind of stands up to leave, everyone kind of backs away from him. You know, it reminded me of like when you were in school and if you had someone who was like thought they were going to puke, it's like all the other kids just got as far away from that kid <laughs> as possible <laughs> and just run across the yeah. room. <laughs> um, but Trelawney is basically like super excited about all of this. She's stoked that something like this is happening in her class. But Harry kind of shuts her down and he's like, I have a horrible headache. I'm going to go to the hospital wing. But that is not where he's going. He's going to go tell Dumbledore. Finally, 
Thank Sirius God. said, if your scar starts hurting again, go to Dumbledore immediately. And thank God he's actually listening now. Yeah. You know, and immediately he's going to go. He goes to Dumbledore's office, forgets the password. So he starts naming all these candies. Yeah. Because as we know, Dumbledore has quite the sweet tooth. He does. I love this. I think and this do you remember so what it finally is that opens the door? Cockroach cluster. Which makes me want to gag. It just makes me want to bomb. Makes me can't believe stand. Bomb. You know those big African cockroaches or whatever they're called that people keep as pets? Like the hissing ones? Yeah. Ugh. They have them at the zoo in Raleigh mm. or the mm-hmm. science center in Raleigh. I wish those things didn't exist. <laughs> I don't think that we should exterminate them. I just, just wish really that wish. they didn't exist. So true story in Animal Crossing, one of the bugs that you can catch is a giant water bug. And it's like in my Animal Crossing character proportions, it's like the size of my forearm. And it's disgusting. But they're worth 2000 bells each. So I catch them even though I don't want to. And if you live in the South, the Southeastern United States, I would say. Right. Then you have heard the phrase growing up, I'd cockroach as palmetto bug. Or a water bug. We That's call a palmetto bug. bug. I've always heard water bug. You know, Sammy Tills is like, what? It is a daggone palmetto it bug. It is a palmetto bug. It is a different bug. It is not a cockroach. It's I will disgusting. have this argument with you another time. Okay. But it is, we need to call up Ed. We actually know a bug expert and we need to have Edward. Ed settle this yes. once and for all. So HP overhears a conversation going on inside Dumbledee's office. He does. And it's a convo with Mr. Cornelius Fudge, the yep. head of the ministry. Your boy. And our boy, Mad-Eyed Moody. Absolutely. So it's these three. And Fudge is basically like, I don't really see what you're on about, basically. Like, okay, I don't really think there's anything major going on with Bertha. And to suggest that there's some kind of connection between her disappearance, like he's kind of taking the line of like, you're being paranoid, bro. Like yeah. these are not connected. Because Dumbledore is clearly telling them what's going on. Crouch yeah. has been gone for months. Bertha Jorkins at this point has been gone for 27 years. <laughs> She's right? been gone a while. She comes back and everyone's like, Bertha, you're so old. It's like castaway. Yeah. She's got a long beard, a volleyball with a face on she it. She was a grown man. She had a beard. <laughs> It has been zero episodes since we mentioned Talladega Nights. Yes. <laughs> and you know what that volleyball's name is. Wilson! <laughs> but anywho, Fudge is basically like, okay, listen, Crouch's disappearance has nothing to do with Bertha. Here's what I think happened. One of two things. Either Crouch just finally lost it like he finally cracked once and for all and just wandered off somewhere or i don't know meta maxime had something to do with it like i don't know what he's suggesting here like that she ate him or something but he's basically like well didn't you say this was near the bobaton carriage you know how those people are uh, right yeah. exactly oh cornelius fudge Dumbledore says he trusts her as much as he trusts Hagrid. Absolutely. And he basically calls Fudge out and he doesn't call him a bigot. He refers to his prejudices. That's right. So, you know, he kind of calls him out there and then Harry gets called out because Moody is like, oh, Harry's on the other side of the door. Let him in, little bastard. (laughs) With his fucking eye. Come on in. Let's read some poetry. Have a cigar. <laughs> I need you to find a picture of this man. Of Carrington? Yeah. R.I.P. Oh. Hmm. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I'm assuming. I mean. He's no longer If alive. he was old when you were a kid. I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying. 
the face you're what giving you me. <laughs> just say it. Just say it. I'm just saying that it's like when you watch a TV show from the 80s and there's a dog on it. You're like, that dog is definitely dead. That's my brother. <laughs> my brother will not watch anything that has animals in it without saying, that's so sad. You know that bird's dead right now. <laughs> you know that dog's dead right now. That's that like a dark, Tim. Yeah. That's so dark. Yeah. Such darkness coming from the guy who runs a horror movie podcast. I know. Who would have thought? And that's that's the chapter of the dream. Little kind of like hit you in the nuts chapter there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just a little nut punch of a chapter, I think. I want you to know that there are no minor hits to the nuts. <laughs> As someone with nuts, I would like you to know. Your Honor, I'd like to object as someone with nuts. Uh... <laughs> I don't even think I realized I said minor punch to the nuts. Just a little tap, a little little hard flick to the nuts. It's <laughs> not a shooter marble. <laughs> That's it, folks. That's the end of the episode. We'll see you next week. It's a dangerous cocktail of Zyrtec and bourbon at this point. <laughs> I, You know I don't typically take medicine at all. Right. Like, I just don't take medicine. Right. I, I don't like it. I just no. don't take it. Last night, I took a Walgreens aisle to the face. <laughs> like, I took enough to put down a horse. Oh, my God. Because you were so desperate for relief because you just, like... I woke up and it was like the Dementors were in my nasal cavities. Yeah. It was really a problem. And then you woke me up to tell me how uncomfortable you were. And you're like, that sucks, babe. I was half asleep. I barely remember it. I'm crying right now. <laughs> and my nose is running worse than ever. So that was counterintuitive. Chapter 30, The Pensive. So Harry goes in after being straight up called out by Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. And Dumbledore's like, I hear you. You need to wait for me. I hear you and I see you. I hear you and I see you from Parenthood. Great show. Wait for me here. I'm going to take Fudge around the grounds. What do you think they're looking for, this walk around the grounds? You know, I mean... Part of me, just because of who Cornelius Fudge is, thinks it's just kind of one of those, like, procedural, this is what you do when something mysterious happens. Yeah, they're going down to where they found Crumb stunned and where they last saw Crouch. Exactly. That whole situation. It's really kind of like, I get the impression when I read this, it's really kind of Fudge who wants to do it more than anybody else. And Harry goes in, and I think this is a cool moment. Okay. Where he's left in Dumbledore's office by himself. Yeah. Because he sees Fox and he's like, what's up, Fox? Aww. And Fox is like, what's up? Baby Fox, I love him. And then he sees the sword of Gryffindor. Yeah. And what this reminded me of is in the never-ending story. I know this is a shocker to you that I'm bringing <laughs> oh, this movie. Of course. Where Atreyu, once he gets past the Southern Oracle and all this stuff, the nothing comes and... He's stranded on this like weird beach somewhere and the nothing has destroyed everything around him. And he looks and there's cave paintings oh, of his adventures yeah. so far. So he yeah. sees himself on the back of Falcor 
and he sees the rock biter and he sees Artex in the swamp of sadness. And then he eventually sees the wolf, the wolf, the wolf <laughs> that he's about to encounter. Yeah. Right. But this is a moment where Harry's looking back on his accomplishments thus far. Right? I love it. Yeah. These symbols of he also, where our hero has come from. He sees the sorting hat too, yeah. which has been another really major player in Harry's story so far because it's the, you know, that's the reason he's in Gryffindor and not Slytherin. And also it's what Fox brought to him in the Chamber of Secrets that had the sword of Gryffindor in it. And yeah, I mean, he's, I think it's, it is an interesting moment because I guess my question to you is why do you think now, why do you think now is when he's seeing and noticing these symbols? I think it's another example of JK checking in with us. Yeah. And saying, Hey, remember where you've come, remember where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. You'll need all of this stuff to get to where you're going because we are Harry yeah. as the reader. Does it worry you a little bit that there's almost a preparation in this moment? Right. There's almost a remember where you come from because some really dark shit is in your future. Yeah, it feels that way. Definitely. It should. <laughs> so one thing he notices is this cool little dish. Very cool little and dish. He's like, oh, my God, is that Pier One? But no one's around to be like, yeah, girl, that thing was seven dollars. Well, it's in a cabinet that was accidentally on purpose slightly left ajar. slightly ajar right you always have to question whether or not anything dumbledore does is an accident right you know so and like, harry's also a nosy kid he's a nosy rosy isn't he he goes poking around and he looks down into this thing and what he sees in this weird mist is almost like he's looking through the roof of a room and in the room, there are witches and wizards, yes, magical people, and yeah. they're all surrounded on four sides, like theater in the round. Yes, yeah. And in the middle is a chair, mm. which stands, as we learn, the accused. So he's looking down onto a trial going on. Yeah. But he can't really see everybody because the pensive is round and the room is square. Yeah. So there's some hidden corners. So he kind of starts to get like a little bit close to where his nose is like in the dish. Boom, he sucked into the room. Yeah. Now he's sitting beside Dumbledore. Right. Waves his hand in front of Dumbledore. Dumbledore can't see him. Clearly he's like doing this weird kind of Christmas carol visitation. Yeah. Oh, that's a great comparison. Of another time. Yeah. You know, he's, he is instantly reminded of the other time that this has happened, which was with Tom Riddle's diary. Yeah. So he kind of deduces because he's had that experience oh i'm in a memory i'm in someone else's memory i'm in someone else's memory and i love this concept of being able to kind of exist within a memory that's happening like a memory is a tangible thing i don't know i love the pensive i love the concept of it i love the description of it in fact i kind of wanted to read the description of it if that's okay a shallow stone basin lay there with odd carvings around the edge, runes and symbols that Harry did not recognize. The silvery light was coming from the basin's contents, which were like nothing Harry had ever seen before. He could not tell whether the substance was liquid or gas. It was a bright, whitish silver, and it was moving ceaselessly. The surface of it became ruffled like water beneath wind, and then, like clouds, separated and swirled smoothly. It looked like light made liquid or like wind made solid. Harry couldn't make up his mind. 
you can see it, even though it's something that Harry can't even put into words in his own description. You as a reader can see what this looks like. So enchanting. It's so enchanting. I love it. So, yes, he is in this trial. Yeah. Sitting beside Dumbledore. Dumbledore Mm -hmm. basically looks the same. Yeah. Because I think he always kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. And they lead this guy out and put him in the chair, and it's Karkaroff. It's Karkaroff. So Karkaroff is younger. He's dressed in, like, old ragged clothes. Yeah. Clearly, he's, like, on trial, so to speak. And Harry notices that Karkaroff has aged a lot more from that time to now than Dumbledore has, which I think is an important point. You know, he notices that Dumbledore essentially looks the same, but Karkaroff looks way older now. Yeah. And the same amount of time has passed for both of these people. Yeah. That's pretty telling. They're basically saying to him, what's the information that you have? What we presume is that Karkaroff has decided to become like a confidential informant. He's snitching. He's like, I'll rat on everybody. Yeah. And there's a really cool aside before we get into like what Karkaroff says to the jury, essentially. And it's something that Dumbledore says about the Dementors that I wanted to read. Ooh, yeah, what does he say? Because that is an interesting conversation. He has this conversation with Moody because Moody is also there. And by the way, the person doing the questioning is Crouch. And Harry notices that Crouch is fit and young and like a Rottweiler. This is not the Crouch he saw in the woods the other day. Right. Crouch is going to let him out. Moody breathed quietly to Dumbledore. He's done a deal with him. Took me six months to track him down, and Crouch is going to let him go if he's got enough new names. Let's hear his information, I say, and throw him straight back to the Dementors. Dumbledore made a small noise of dissent through his long, crooked nose. Ah, I was forgetting. You don't like the Dementors, do you, Albus? said Moody with a sardonic smile. No, said Dumbledore calmly. I'm afraid I don't. I have long felt the Ministry is wrong to ally itself with such creatures. Mm, What strikes you about this? Here we get a little peek into. The fact that Dumbledore is not 100% okay with how things go down. Right. And what really strikes me is the phrase, align itself with such creatures. Yeah. This makes me think about how governments have to talk to bad people, negotiate with bad people, Mm -hmm. sometimes even align themselves with not the best people in the world to accomplish certain things. And there's a little bit of dissent with Dumbledore, which kind of we've learned, I think, is why he likes Harry Mm -hmm. and sees a bit of himself in Harry, because Dumbledore's sort of a man of dissent himself. Yeah. He's not afraid to tell people, that's actually not what I think. That's your prejudice come into play. Right. Or there are things here that you don't understand. Or this situation, like, I just don't think the ministry should align itself with with these creatures. Yeah. Dumbledore is definitely... Not someone who's just going to go with the status quo because that's what you do because it's the easier path to take. I also want to remind you of one of your own prophecies from Prisoner of Azkaban. You made a prophecy early in book three that is coming to me very clearly that basically the ministry is going to come to regret aligning themselves essentially with Dementors. Yes. You were already sort of, you know, kind of thinking along Dumbledore's lines back, you know, a book and a half ago. They're flirting with evil. Yeah. The same way that Crouch did. Right? I mean, those lines are really blurry. And, you know, 
this is uh, not a series in which magically the government is going to be the the keeper of all the things right and true. That's definitely mm-hmm. not the case in this series. So he starts spitting out names. Ooh, snitchy, snitchy, snitch. And he's like Antonin Dolohov, and they're like, "Yeah, he was arrested already." Yeah, Evan Rosier. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, Travers. He was arrested. Mulbert. He was arrested. Rookwood. And there's this Rookwood character that comes. Ding, up. ding, 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 ding. Augustus Rookwood. Crouch kind of perks up here. He notices in this because Rookwood works in the ministry. He works in the Department of Mysteries, right? Is that what it says? I think so. Yeah. Works for the Department of Mysteries. This is clearly new information. Now, up until this point, Karkaroff was getting a little nervous because he's got all these, this currency he thinks with these names and he's striking out with all of them, right? It's like this guy thought he was going to rat a bunch of people out and get his (laughs) sentence reduced and like, yeah, we've arrested all those people already. Exactly. Like we're in the future also, as Mike Birbiglia would say. Yeah. But Rookwood is interesting. Crouch puts, you know, makes a note of that or his secretary makes a note of that. And he's like, okay, well, you know, thanks for your information. We're going to we're going to send you back to Azkaban while we think about it. And Kargroff knows they're not going to go, okay, we thought about it. We're going to let you out now. His only hope is giving them some kind of information that's going to actually make them let him out now. So then he, he goes, oh, I have more. I have more. And who does he say next? Severus Snape. Severus Snape. Can I say something about the Rookwood name? Yeah, say it. Maybe this means nothing, but you know I need to to pick and prod sure. where I see connections. Sure. I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, famous theologian. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Mm-hmm. And in The Screwtape Letters, a guy is having a conversation essentially with Satan, with the devil. Wow. And it's... This way that C.S. Lewis is able to kind of like teach you about Christian thinking through this conversation with this guy and the devil. And the devil's basically telling the human his secrets. Mm. This is how I win you over. This is how I lean you towards the dark side. Wow. This is how stuff happens. And I believe that the character's name is Wormwood. No kidding. And here we have Rookwood. We have Wormtail. Right. Oh, that is interesting. Weird. Ooh, I wonder. Because, I mean, I don't know about J.K. Rowling's influence from C.S. Lewis specifically, but J.K. Rowling has definitely said that she was very influenced by her own Christian religious upbringing in the series. And as a writer living in the UK, (laughs) there's no way that you even existed in the world and missed C.S. Lewis. Absolutely. And I've also said that there's a lot of things that in her writing that remind me of C.S. Lewis. Oh, and I mean, that's if I were J.K. Rowling, I would take that as a huge compliment for sure. So another thing that I wanted to point out that I kind of forgot to bring up when we were talking about Dumbledore's opinion on the Dementors This is a tidbit that I think is really important. Okay. We learned that Voldemort's supporters don't necessarily know who each other are. Right. But Voldemort knows who they are. Right. This made me think about the clan. Ooh, is this like how things work in the clan? Oh, God. I'm not sure if that's how things worked for the majority. Yeah. But when I was a kid, my granddad would tell me about growing up in the country. Yeah. He was a kid. Yeah. And there were people in the church that were older than him, like his dad's age, 
that he knew were in the clan. And he used to say to me, nobody even knew that they were in this organization. And he used to always say, some of them didn't even know each other were in the organization. Wow. Oh, my God. And it, it does make sense. The point is made that this is a really good strategy because then it prevents someone like, you know, Karkaroff yeah. snitching and ratting out the whole, you know, the whole group. Right. And you can also be a part of like a drug cartel or like organized crime. You don't know who the people necessarily are below or above you. You exactly. kind of stay in your lane yeah. for safety's sake. I think that the, this should also tell you that Voldemort's supporters were not a small group of people either. That's what I'm starting to realize. Yeah. That's kind of the most terrifying part of all this. Yeah. They're numerous enough that a system like that can be in place. The <laughs> weird thing about this series is that she's taking you into something using this little boy as a vehicle. Yeah. So you're kind of led to believe even by like the Sorcerer's Stone task. Wizard's chest and... <laughs> You better get past these grabby vines and like finish <laughs> grabby this. Vines? You better get past the grabby vines. Double snare. And you better make sure you play chess right. Like those are the stakes. Mm -hmm. And you think there's like this bad snaky guy named Voldemort <laughs> and he's going to have to fight him and I believe he's going to win. That's like how you're set up. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, no, this dude is... The devastation of the entire planet that we live on. Absolutely. Muggle and wizarding world are both at risk. Absolutely. This guy is the devil. This guy he is. He is the worst. He is the literal worst. And very, very powerful. His power is not, he's this wizard that could kick your ass with a wand. No, he can orchestrate tons of people. I don't know how many by this point. I'm thinking right. maybe tens of thousands of people right. under his spell right. so to speak to right. do his evil bidding and the scary thing is that people that we've known in our own history that have been like this don't have any kind of inherent magic it happens that voldemort does but if you draw parallels which are very deliberate between voldemort and say i don't know hitler hitler had power over people because of his tongue he had power over people because yeah. of his charisma, because of his passion about the message. Yeah. Right? And that's the most dangerous thing of all. He's selling it hard. Yeah. That's why it might be very important that the Tom Riddle character is this handsome, charming, intelligent, charming yes. type of dude. Yes. Very Sneaky important. Sneaky ass snake. Ooh. And Ooh. it's also, as a reader, I'm starting to realize my world's at stake. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was reading a story about the wizarding world. Now I realize, no, my world, the world I live in is at stake. This exactly. is about the planet Earth. Exactly. This is about the peril to humankind. Right. It's not just about magic castle dragon land. Yeah. Well, and let's just, you know, take stock for a minute. The name Rookwood comes up not only is this important to the plot because, oh, Karkaroff finally had a name of some consequence, right? But this is a ministry employee. This guy has people, presumably, you, provided Karkaroff's telling the truth and Rookwood is actually a Death Eater. This guy has at least one confirmed person within the government. I am not convinced 
that the entire ministry mm. is not completely corrupted and all serving Voldemort, Oof. which further proves or kind of reinforces my theory that maybe Crouch is being used as a patsy. No one's going after dark wizards. People, the ministry is being orchestrated by Voldemort's followers, and they're only going after wizards who dissent against Voldemort's rule. Damn. If they can disguise it as they're the good guys hunting dark wizards, mm -hmm. then fine. Ooh, that shit is bleak. That's a bleak picture that you're painting right there. It's getting dark. It's getting real dark. So let's get back to Snape. Severus Snape is the next name on the list. And what did you think about this, this confirmation that Severus Snape was at one time a confirmed Death Eater? But then cleared by Dumbledore. Yeah. And turned into a spy. Yeah. Has Dumbledore's trust. We've got Dumbledore standing up vouching for him that means a lot now moody in this memory doesn't seem to also to be standing up and, and taking severus snape's side in this right? right moody's sitting there harry turned to look at mad eye moody he was wearing a look of deep skepticism behind dumbledore's back but were you surprised at all like to have the confirmation that snape was at one time a death eater not I wasn't shocked because he seems like an asshole. Yeah. But what it really drove home for me is this feeling that Snape seems to have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. He favors Draco Malfoy. Right. Whose dad is Lucius. Yeah. Who is a Death Eater. Right. Right. So we know that Snape is like digs those kind of guys. <laughs> Snape has got something going on with Karkaroff. We know. Mm -hmm. Snape's also an asshole. Yeah. Hates Harry Potter. But he seems to be super loyal to Dumbledore right. in a weird way. Right. He fears Mad-Eye Moody. Right. He used to be classmates with the Marauders. Right. So why is, like, why does he have one foot in both worlds? Right. What I'm hoping is that we are going to end up with a payoff of this character of why he is the way he is. Okay. I need to know why he became essentially evil and then what made him turn back around and say, actually, no, that's not the life for me. Did okay. Dumbledore save him? Did Dumbledore's influence like come in and say, listen, Severus, I've known you since you were 11 years old. Dude, this ain't the move. Right. And convince him. I feel like my heart's going to break as we peel back yeah. Snape and Malfoy and some yeah. of these characters. I am very pleased to inform you that you will absolutely get the answers to those questions. In this book? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not in this book. I want it now. <laughs> okay, Veruca Salt. No, you're not going to have it now. You're going to have quite a ways to wait. But just know those answers will come. Those answers will come. So then Harry is sucked into trial two. Yeah. Okay. This is a completely different court case. Yes. This is the court case at the end of Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> Santa Claus is on the stand. 
Wait, 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 wait. Is this like the 90s redo where it's uh, Attenborough? Which Attenborough is it? Not the one. It's the one who's dead. Not David. Not David. So Richard Attenborough. Yes. I love him so much. Where he's Santa Claus and then Dylan McDermott is the lawyer. Okay, I'm there. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they bring the reindeer into the yes. courtroom. God, and they're like, I make him fly. Movie. And he's like, oh, they can't fly. They only fly on Christmas Eve. Yes, God. It's so good. <laughs> so, I want it to be Christmas now. <laughs> no, actually, trial two is Bagman. Yep. And it's Rookwood. It has to do with Rookwood. Yes. So we get Rookwood's name again. And we learned that he was a friend of Bagman's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Bagman's like, I, so, okay. Bagman in this trial is being accused of passing information to the Death Eaters, right? Mm -hmm. He's not being accused of being a Death Eater. He's being accused of passing information. And Bagman's basically going, look, I didn't know Rookwood was a Death Eater. He's a friend of my pops. You know, I don't know. I thought I was being helpful, which... Presumably nobody knew Rookwood was a Death Eater, to be fair, right? I mean, the only, like, that's the only name that even surprises Crouch in Trial 1 is Rookwood. So if Cargroff's telling the truth, then Rookwood, you know, really had a good cover, you know? He covered his tracks well. Yeah. But the really kind of unsettling part about trial number two is just the fact that Bagman is so charming, right? Like he's got the court of public opinion behind him, even though Crouch is definitely not swayed seemingly by that kind of thing. And why is that? Why does the crowd love him? Because he's a famous Quidditch player. Exactly. Yeah. This is this weird celebrity trial going on. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, every t- thing, something, every time something goes in Bagman's favor, they're like, yeah, Quidditch. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing. It's a little disturbing. And I'm not even saying that that should disturb you or shouldn't disturb you. I think if we got literally nothing else about Bagman the rest of this book, just the fact that the ministry employees can be so easily swayed by celebrity like that's awful also just that we need to remember that bagman is a celebrity and the concept of celebrity comes up so much yeah with harry snape keeps sort of accusing harry of his celebrity there's the whole rita skeeter thing yeah there's a lot of this celebrity complex definitely well and i think that bagman too also maintains a lot of this charm as well even now you know, people generally seem to like Bagman, even though, like, he's a little shifty. He does things that have certainly made you suspicious. But, like, people generally kind of like him. I mean, even when they run into Rita and the three broomsticks, they're kind of like, what, you're going to go after this guy now and try to ruin his life? You know, it's... I do not trust Bagman. I know you don't. I know I you don't. I really think Bagman is... I think we're going to find out some really disturbing things about this guy. When I was reading this, I was like, oh, Kevin's going to be so pleased to see Bagman like on trial. (laughs) I don't want it to be true. I know. I know. Do you know who I always see in my head for Bagman? Have I told you this? No. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, really? Yeah. R.I.P., man. God, what a fantastic actor. For some reason, the very first time I ever read this book, Philip Seymour Hoffman just came into my head as Ludo Bagman. So then we get to trial three. Yeah. Trial three, there's four people. Thoroughly upsetting. Kind of in the stands, so to speak. Yeah. 
One of them is Crouch's son. Yeah. So this is the trial, the aforementioned trial in which Crouch condemned his own son to Azkaban, at least brought charges against him. Right. And this is the trial that his son is in and three other people. Yeah. Yeah. It is. This is such a thoroughly upsetting few pages, in my opinion. And what are they being accused of? They're being accused of using the Cruciatus curse on the Auror Frank Longbottom and his wife, Alice. Who we instantly are like Neville's parents. Neville's parents. Being tortured for information. And we know that the Cruciatus curse is illegal, of course. But the end result of that torture, which we don't find out until we're out of the memory... Looking back, when Dumbledore has filled in that blank, that they're not dead, I think looking back on the trial, you realize why it's so emotionally charged. Yeah. This trial. And why the son is screaming like, Dad, I didn't do it. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. (laughs) And when Crouch says, you are no son of mine, I have no son. And the, the mother is like, she just passes out. She's like, I'm literally crying right now. And what I don't know at this point is I don't know if his son was a Death Eater. Right. And if Crouch was like, my morality is such that even if you're my son, you go to jail. Right. Or if he's been fucked with by Voldemort's followers and he's under some spell and his son is going to end up dying in Azkaban a year from now for no reason. There's literally no outcome where this isn't absolutely hard. There are a lot of things that are being put into the story now which are never going to be okay (laughs) right right and this scene is never going to be okay where he's pleading and pleading the other three on trial are definitely not doing any kind of pleading it's two other men and one woman and they're sort of like or at least the woman speaks up and says well the dark lord will return And he'll know who was loyal to him. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. This is also, remember the timeline of this. This is after Voldemort's disappearance. This is after the boy who lived happened, right? This is after that night. And so you get the sense that Voldemort didn't just like lose all of his supporters when he disappeared and was presumed dead. There's at least one person on trial here who's going, he will return. So now we know there's at least some kind of sentiment that has lasted Right. Or was lasting at least immediately after this. I don't know. This felt like one of those disturbing moments where someone who's on trial just doubles down and says something to like the accused parents or something. And it feels so evil because they don't care. Right. Oh, right. Right. Gives me the willies. It should. It absolutely should. So the Dementors drag these these folks off and present day Dumbledore shows up in the memory too. And, and Harry's like, oh shit, there's two Dumbledores. <laughs> this one can see me. <laughs> and he basically says, okay, I think it's time to go back to my office now. So now they're back in Dumbledore's office. Yeah. Yeah. And Dumbledore explains what the pensive is. Yes. And he's like, you know that feeling when your head is so full of thoughts that you just kind of can't sift through them all? And Harry's like, uh, no, I'm not familiar with that no, feeling. I don't think that deeply. Right, right. Which is, I relate, Harry. Basically, the pensive is a container for these specific memories or thoughts 
that you can sort of store them in there and sift through them later. You can look for patterns. Yeah. You know, when this cabinet that it was in was left open, presumably we go, okay, these three trials, these three thoughts, these three memories were put in there by Dumbledore, who himself was kind of looking through these to see what patterns there were, which I think is an important question. Why these three, right? This wasn't just J.K. Rowling going, Harry needs to see all of this information. This pensive was there because Dumbledore was using it. Yeah. And these are the thoughts that Dumbledore was sifting through. Right. It could have been that Harry poked his head in and it was Dumbledore's memories of being a kid. Right. Or whatever. And he, right. as he's talking to Harry, he's still like whipping thoughts out of his brain and yeah. being like, cool, I should save that. And he just right. throws it on his... Throws it in the old dish over there. Yes. And we get the memory of like school age Bertha, right? So he was also had a memory of Bertha in there, like sort of close to the surface. Snape, he sees Snape's face in there. Dumbledore was definitely doing some serious thought sifting. Yeah. You know, prior to presumably when Fudge showed up or whatever, right? What struck me too is that Dumbledore has known Bertha. Yeah. Since she started going to school at 11 years old, saw her grow up, become an adult, work for the ministry, and now disappear and is presumably dead. Exactly. Dumbledore also brings up another very familiar name, which he knows about because he reads the Muggle newspapers. Good guy Frank Bryce. Oh, nice guy Frank Bryce. Nice guy Frank the Bryce. The wrestler. <laughs> the famous wrestler Frank Bryce. But he mentions... There's a muggle that's been missing. The ministry's not concerned because he's a muggle, quite frankly. But I think all of these things are connected. It's a lot that he's sharing with Harry. Yeah. He also mentions to Harry that he has been in touch with Sirius. This struck you as interesting because when you read this, you were like, oh, how about Dumbledore? He's like, oh, I know. I've been talking to Sirius, too. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think told him about the cave, bro? Right. I've been sending him chicken through Amazon. <laughs> I've been Amazon Prime in that bitch. You brought him chicken? He had Bojangles that morning. <laughs> oh, God, Bojangles. You think he saved You think you saved that dude's life in the cave? I Instacarted Bojangles to that dude's Honey, house. Our, that, first of all, no, Instacart is grocery stores. DoorDash? Sure. DoorDash. You could DoorDash Bojangles. If our, you get Bojangles oh. delivered to your house and you answer the door in sweatpants, you need to reevaluate Dude, your life, I though. want Bojangles right fucking now. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Our UK listeners don't know Bojangles or in our, any of our Matt other... Does international listeners you think matt does matt did you have bojangles when you were in the u.s message us as soon as you hear this episode <laughs> but it's bojangles is not just a u.s thing it's like a southeastern u.s thing like it's a really dialed in franchise oh god i want bojangles why did you have to bring up bojangles <laughs> so two people who probably never have bojangles again are neville's parents <laughs> oh god who dumbledore Tells us a little bit about. Oh, Jesus Christ. And we find out that Neville's parents basically went crazy. They were tortured into insanity. tortured. Yeah. And they're living in like a special facility and don't remember who Neville is. Yeah. And that's why he lives with his grandmother, huh? Yes. Yes. They are at St. Mungo's, which is the wizard medical facility. But they're in like a long-term care type of wing and yeah i mean this they weren't just tortured for information 
they were tortured to the point where they were experiencing so much pain they lost their minds. Can we cosplay? Why are you laughing? Can we cosplay as Neville's parents at Leaky Con? Fuck no. That is not okay. It will never be okay. We'll put on like gowns and nope. it'll say Saint nope. Mungo's on nope. the back. Nope. <laughs> nope. You want to get kicked out of the fandom real fucking quick? Dress as Frank and Alice Longbottom post-torture. That is not okay. As a member of the Harry Potter fandom, I am telling you that is never okay. Can I be Neville and you be his grandma? I that's easy. That's a little weird that you want to cosplay that way, but sure. I mean, we can. Oh, my goodness. God, how fucked up would that be? Right. We could put the little medical like hospital bracelets on. Don't you need to just and on the back it says no, Saint Mungo's. Stop devoting your. And we have slippers on. Stop. Stop devoting your mental energy to this because it's literally <laughs> never going to happen. It's not going to happen. There would be somebody that was like, that is brilliant. Can no. I get my picture with no. you? No. All everyone who is a fan of this series, <laughs> I'm going to just speak broadly here, would be like, uh, not okay. <laughs> not fucking okay. No, 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 no. No, stop. So you're saying there's a chance. There is not a chance. There is zero chance about this. Speaking of his parents, Dumbledore does ask Harry, don't mention this to anybody else. Neville has the right to tell this story. I think that's really cool. I like that too. Yeah. That's one of the yeah. highlights. of Dumbledore shines, I think, a lot in this Definitely. chapter. Definitely. But that's he, cool where he's like, hey, this is this kid's story. Yeah. It's none of your business. This is his information. Yeah. You need to keep this, you know, between us. Um, Dumbledore was almost my winner this week, actually. I thought mm. he had a lot of really good moments. Also, Harry has a, a really kind of great thought during this time, which is he recognizes the fact that in four years of knowing Neville, he's never asked him why he's being raised by his grandmother. He has this thought a couple of times, like Dumbledore is speaking and the thought that enters Harry's mind is, how could I have never asked him this? The weird parallel of Neville and Harry is so strange. So you're picking up on that. Neville is like this shadow of Harry. You know, they're the same age. Yeah. I've always said Neville's not in this story for no reason. Yeah. There's always been kind of like this shadow of Harry, which is Neville. And now we realize that his parents were also attacked by Voldemort. Right. It's really weird. I feel like Yoda right now when Luke Skywalker is like, has learned some kind of Jedi thing. Luminous beams, are we? Yeah, I feel, I feel like proud Yoda right now. I'm so happy with you. So I have a note here to wrap up kind of these two chapters. Sure. As far as my overall opinion, loved the hell out of these two chapters. Hell yes. Solidified my love, I think, deeply for the fandom. Yeah. It made me think about a roller coaster designer named John C. Allen. He designed Swamp Fox down at Family Kingdom. Oh my God. Which you know I love. And I have ridden that one, actually. He also designed, I think, Great American Scream Machine at Six Flags. Woodstock Express, what we now know as Woodstock Express. Yeah. He designed that. He was a wooden roller coaster designer, worked for Philadelphia Toboggan Company. 
and it's kind of like a hero in the world of coaster enthusiast and a historical legend. Yeah. And he has a really cool quote that I wanted to read. Okay. You don't need a degree in engineering to design roller coasters. You need a degree in psychology. Ooh. And I've always loved that because yeah. no truer words were ever spoken. Yeah. When you build a roller coaster, you could say, we'll put a loop here and then we'll do a corkscrew and then we'll do a big dive. Yeah. And then we'll do a bank turn and we'll come back into the station. Yeah. That's engineering. The psychology of a roller coaster is what is the rider expecting right now? Right. And what do we deliver to them? How do we surprise them with this element? Or make this element seem bigger than it actually is. Right. And then one, two, punch them two elements later. Yeah. And that's what John C. Allen realized. So when you ride Swamp Fox, you go up the lift hill, you face the ocean. So it's like, oh my God, I'm at the boardwalk. I'm looking at the ocean. You click around, you face away from the ocean, and you're like, here's the big drop. And you hit that first big drop. And it's like, whoa, you think that's what the roller coaster is. But it's that second hill that you go, oh, shit, I'm about to come out of my seat. Yeah. Then you go up the other side. It turns around. You're like, okay, everything's fine again. When it comes back down, it hits these little bumps, these little jackhammer bumps. And every time I ride that coaster, I know the layout, but I'm always a little surprised by what elements were pieced together in such a small amount of real estate. And that's kind of what his influence on roller coaster design was yeah. is switch things up. Think about what the writer's experiencing. And it makes me think about JK's writing because she doesn't just say this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. There's this psychology, this way that she kind of like entrances you as good yeah. writers do. Yeah. She kind of puts you in a state. And then hit you with this information. Yeah. But every time we get something like a big battle or a weird dream by Harry or whatever, we've been set up for it using tone and environment and atmosphere, if yes, you will. Definitely. We've been set up for what happens. Yeah. And as soon as we feel like we know what's going on, oh, shit. There's another big drop. Yeah. And now the floor is out from underneath us again. Yes. And we have to catch up to what's going on. Yes. And oh, so yeah. I think that her writing reminds me a lot of that quote. And That's that so true. Way of thinking about things. Yeah. She's not just telling you events. She's telling you a story. Yeah. And she's crafting it in a way that you're diverted, you know, with a red herring over here. But then something is dropped that is really actually very important over here. But I don't think that she devotes a lot of attention to deliberately trying to mislead the reader. You yeah. know, she it's does not like, guess what? <sighs> Bruce Willis was also dead. Right. <clears throat> hey, listen, The Sixth Sense is a great movie. It is, but it wasn't <laughs> like that. It's not about like, whoa, look at the reveal. Right. It's emotionally exhausting is what it is. It's definitely. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's becoming more and more difficult to really like. <laughs> and, and listen. Take in. Here's the thing. You know, we have the very next chapter is the third task. And the chapter after that is a chapter called Flesh, Blood, and Bone. And Flesh, Blood, and Bone is one of those chapters 
that among Harry Potter fans is one of those oh shit all time chapters with some really it's not just about events it's about the way that chapter's written it's about the imagery in that chapter i i wow wow well i'm really curious about your prophecy especially since you sort of hinted it might have something to do with fred and george yes okay frederick and jorge frederick and jorge you know who i think that they're blackmailing who ludo bagman what do you know why i think that why because they made that bet with him okay at the quidditch world cup okay remember they made that bet i do remember and they won the money yeah this is the cat they know who has money right He's the cat they're blackmailing. Interesting. You know what I think they saw that they're going to blackmail what? him for? What? Putting Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. <gasps> Stop. You know why I think that? Why? Because Fred and George were sniffing around for weeks trying to figure out Ooh. how to trick the Goblet of Fire to put their names in it. And they caught Bagman putting Harry's name in it because Bagman is a freaking Death Eater. Wow. And he's out to kill Harry James Potter. Wow. Good day, sir. <laughs> you know, and, and the implication of that is that Fred and George would have this information and not tell Harry. They're not worried about what their little brother's friends are right, doing. They're right. on their own thing. I mean, it 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 makes sense within the confines of of what Ron was saying to Harry and Hermione, which was basically like... I realize Fred and George are all funny, funny, haha, but you don't understand. Like, they have become really obsessed. They wouldn't break laws, and Ron's like, uh, wouldn't they? Like, shit, they wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Is that even an expression? Like, shit, you wouldn't. Like, hell, you wouldn't. That's one. No, you know what I'm thinking of? It's Mike Birbiglia again. He's like, fun, are you going to do that? <laughs> That's from his, I think it's my girlfriend's boyfriend stand up. Oh, God, so good. Very good prophecy. I feel like my prophecies are starting to become much more accusatory in the past they few They are really accusatory. Like, you're sort of becoming Crouch, like, yes. during the time when he was like... really. I'm ready to, like, torture Hagrid for answers. I don't care. You're no son of mine. I just want the truth. <laughs> My God. So, as promised, I want to know, what is your... Ministry trial Hedwig's digital get down hoot. That's kind of like a little West Wing, like it is going to trial courtroom type of thing. Holy moly. Oh, I love it. Oh, you're so good. Well, for our Hedwig's digital get down, we got an email from Lily. Lily, I don't know if you remember, we covered a question of Lily's. It was quite a while ago. And we ended up essentially symbolically adopting her. Oh, our daughter. Our daughter. Yes. <laughs> so our daughter wrote back oh, in. She's finally come home. We've oh, been worried the sick. prodigal daughter. Yeah, she returned. finally decides to write. Exactly. <laughs> so Lily had some two cents she wanted to share with us on 
the idea of did Cedric give good advice about the second task, which Mm. is something we've gotten a lot of feedback on because people do like to really come to Cedric's defense. Understandably, Cedric is a great dude. So here's what she said. I've always seen that moment as a time when Cedric does a really good job of sticking to his values, and I've always admired that. At this point, it's known that the other champions have been cheating, but Cedric, as a Hufflepuff who values fair play, wants to win on his own merit and not cheat. However, he also wants to repay Harry, and the best way to do that without compromising his own values is to give Harry less specific advice that lets him figure things out on his own, which I really love. That's one kind of theory that we never really considered. We didn't consider Cedric's own value system. (laughs) Or the fact that Cedric trusts Harry to find out for himself. Absolutely. Wow, Lily getting deep. I love it. And here's her. We raised her right. We did raise her right, didn't we? And here's her answers to questions number two and three from our five questions for you mini episode. So she answered question number two about Universal. You remember you had asked uh, if you've been to Universal, what ideas would you have for them to do something, you know, new? You're going to love this. She said, it's been a while since I've been to Universal, but if they're making additions, I have two words for you. Hogwarts Hotel, a buffet style great hall restaurant, common room lounges, a library gift shop, Hotel rooms themed to different house dormitories. An immersive experience like this would be such a cool opportunity. I love this idea. I am not sure that this is not going to happen. Really? Because we know that we're getting a fourth gate from Universal. Yeah. We know. Universal's epic universe. Right. And this is a little bit away from like what we know as the main campus where City Walk and stuff is. Yes. A couple interesting things. There are talks of an innovative new way of getting passengers from the main campus to the new gate. Really? Yes. Which is kind of cool. There have also been rumors of a hotel. Stop it. So considering the fact that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is going to have a hotel that has heavy theming and sort of an immersive experience, I could honestly see a Harry Potter hotel being feasible Let's just say I don't think that we would see this as a reality being built maybe yeah. for another three to five years. Okay. So here's what needs to happen. Over the next three to five years, you and I need to firmly plant ourselves in the what I think I'm making up sector of Harry Potter influencers. <laughs> So that we can actually go to this. We need to go to the media day when they cut the ribbon. Bingo. That's what I want. Because the thing is, when this does open, and I'm just going to be an optimist and say that it's going to happen. Not only would it be very expensive, but we, you know, we can squirrel away and make that happen. I just think it's literally going to be booked solid for so long that there, we wouldn't have a prayer of getting to stay in it. How about this? You're walking down the hallway. Of your stop. hotel. God, stop and it. And at the end of the hallway, there's a big mirror, as there sometimes is. And in the mirror, you see peeves flying over stop your it. head. Fucking stop it. Stop. 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 How dare you? I want this so bad. How about the luxury suite that has a fireplace? And when you turn the fireplace on, Sirius's face pops up 
as a projection into your fire and welcomes you to the hotel. How effing dare you? You know what? I need that to happen. And Lily's answer for question number three, which was which character do you want to know more about? She said, she's a strong secondary character, but I want to know more about Ginny Weasley. She said, this series is short on female friendships. Correct. And I would love more background on her ongoing friendships with Hermione. And she mentions another character that you haven't met yet. Her life where she's her life whenever she's not hanging out with Harry and Ron, especially. And then she put spoiler redacted. (laughs) Doesn't get discussed nearly enough. She said, I think we definitely deserve to know more about the badass who could survive being possessed by Voldemort when she was 11. Yes. Yeah. Ginny Weasley. We have not gotten a lot of Ginny lately. Lily's question for us was, what are your five favorite movies to watch together? And what Hogwarts houses would you sort those movies into? Now, she doesn't mean Harry Potter movies because you haven't watched five of those yet. These are movies we like to watch together. Yes. That's going to be tough. Okay. Because we do have very different tastes. I say one is The Devil Wears Prada. We both love The Devil Wears Prada, which has to be a Slytherin movie. Yeah. Right? Not just because of Miranda, but just the whole vibe of the movie. Another one is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Love that movie. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff movie. Yeah. Um, How about. What else do we both really love? Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, love it. Yeah, and I too love Sweet Home That's Alabama. That's a Gryffindor That's movie. That's totally a Gryffindor movie. Why do we both just know these things to be true? <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, we both will watch... Now, I... This is my favorite movie of all time, but you too enjoy Jaws. Yes. Jaws would be a Slytherin movie, right? Yes. I know what our Ravenclaw movie that we both love is. What? Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting! <gasps> and that's five. I just got so excited. It is totally a Ravenclaw movie. Hey, do you like apples? I got a number. How do you How like, do you like them, them apples? apples? <laughs> so this is a Harvard bar. Lily, we're so proud of you. You've grown up so fast. Oh, my God. And we miss you. Right? If you need money, let us know. Right, right. We don't have much, but we'll help you out wherever we can. <laughs> yeah. What a fun Hedwig's digital get down. I hope she's eating. I, just, I hope she's eating. I worry sick about Lily. <laughs> Make friends. Now, if if one of your friends says they're going to jump off a bridge, don't also jump off a bridge. Yeah. And also, Lily, as long as you try your hardest, we'll still be proud of Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Oh, God. We love being your parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're silly. Okay. Well, you're up first with marriage lessons. What you got? So mine comes from Ron and Hermione helping Harry train for the third task. (laughs) Damn it. Are you laughing because this is what your marriage lesson comes from? Yes. (laughs) And this is helping each other prepare for the battle ahead. Okay. Helping each other get ready. Okay. And this comes back like a lot of our things do with relationship talk and marriage lessons about these little exchange of graces that you do in a relationship. Yeah. You do this for your friends and you do it in a marriage and that's helping someone prepare for what you know they have going ahead. Somebody's got a hard day. You make them coffee in the morning Mm -hmm. or 
I'm about to go outside and cut the grass. So you pour me some water because you know I'll need it. Yeah. That's like a small scale. But in a bigger scale, it's like right now, both of us have been working from home. Yeah. And we're going to be phased back into the office in a certain capacity over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And we've both been sort of like helping each other psychologically deal with like, this is going to be good. This is our routine. We should be glad we have jobs and Definitely. Like that sort of thing. Definitely. I love that. It's, so what is your marriage lesson, which comes from the same holy thing? Holy shit. Out of these two chapters, this is the moment we both pick a marriage lesson from. I was over here going, it's so weird to me that my marriage lesson came from this thing we didn't even talk about when we were covering the plot. And we both picked it from this. We were just, we were made for each other. <laughs> okay. My marriage lesson also comes from this training where they're working on stunning spells, particularly. I have a little bit of a less charitable view of the way this is executed, which is what inspired my marriage lesson. So just to refresh your memory, Harry is practicing the stunning spell on Ron. <laughs> He's knocking him unconscious and reviving him over and over and over again. And I think it's really great that Ron makes that sacrifice for his friend. You know, I think that's awesome. I think it's less awesome that Ron then suggests they do it on Mrs. Norris instead. Or Dobby. A, or Dobby, which is like even worse somehow. But what struck me is that surely there was another way Harry could have practiced this that wasn't physically injuring his friend. <laughs> right. And I think I just... When you're in a relationship where you love someone so much, you're willing to do anything for that person when they're up against it. But I also think it's up to the person who's up against it, whatever it is, to find a compromise that doesn't just exploit and take from the other person while it can still help them. Yeah. You know, like maybe he would have gotten slightly less effective practice, but it wouldn't have hurt Ron if he had just done it on a stack of books or something. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just uh, my marriage lesson. If I had to distill it down, I would just say find compromise, even if your partner is willing to give you 100 percent. Try and find a compromise to where they don't have to give everything, even if it means that you go into something feeling slightly less prepared. Yeah, I like that. Yeah? Okay. I can't believe we both took a marriage lesson from the same place. That's crazy. For our Marauder shoutouts today, here we, here we go. I want to know what each of our Marauders are on trial for. Oh, God. In front of the ministry? <laughs> In front of the ministry. Let's start with Peter Collins. Peter's being accused of selling his soul for rock and roll. Ooh, love it. How about Natalia Ward? Oh, the warden. This is like a correctional officer. Oh, I think that she was like doing some underhanded sneaky stuff where she was slipping things to some of the prisoners. <gasps> Stop. I could see like certain prisoners that she likes. She's slipping them like cucumber mask, like nice foundations. <laughs> really specific. Yeah. How She's slipping Ulta products <laughs> to some of the female prisoners in Azkaban. That's fantastic. How about Faith Kenfield? She's on trial for trying to free the house elves with Hermione. Oh, my God. She totally would be. Yes. 
How about Dean Heath? Dean is on trial for trying to throw a Panthers-Pats game. It's like deflate gate. Remember Stop that whole thing? It. I think Dean might have been behind that. Stop. Oh, my God. How about our package deal, Vic and Rick? Vicky Guthrie and Rick Herring. They're on trial because they let their cats eat mice in the owlery. <gasps> they just let their three cats loose in the owlery. Yeah. <laughs> the owls are skinny and starving to death because Kitten Little keeps gobbling up all their mice. Damn it, Kitten Little. <laughs> She's like, the sky's falling. <laughs> How about Kelly Moore? She's on trial for falsely impersonating a historical figure. Because oh. Kelly also has a history as an educator in which she dresses as historical figures. Stop it. I think she just like waltzed into Walmart or somewhere and grabbed something and didn't pay for it. And they were like, wait, wait, ma'am, ma'am, you didn't pay for that. She was like, I'm Amelia Earhart, bitch. It's <laughs> fantastic. How about Ben Clark? Ben is on trial for the same thing Hagrid's been accused of, which is like keeping magical creatures. <gasps> Stop. Kind of illegally, like Gerald underneath Gerald. his house. And like the possum that showed up during the yes. Zoom chat that was not the same as the possums that we know. Yeah, a little bit cuter possum. Way cuter. Yeah. I was telling Josh about this last night about the possum and he looked it up. He was because, of course, Josh knew this. He was like, oh, yeah, that's a different thing in Australia. I was like, of course you knew that. And then there <laughs> is the two headed wombat that Ben owns named Jennifer Gerald. <laughs> Rock with you. I told you. Come clean, Ben. We're, we're a little squirrely this evening. Caitlin Dismuke. <laughs> He's already laughing. Technical foul. <laughs> I'd have to be an egregious technical foul, by the way. You have to go on trial in front of the ministry. Oh my God. How about Samantha Tillman? Body checking during a, a match. Throwing a little bit too rough. Yeah, just throwing bows and. Yes. Nick Tillman. You don't put Nicky on trial. He puts you on trial. (laughs) It'd have to be racketeering. (laughs) Racketeering. Money laundering. Yes. Something really mafia-like. How about Heather Bevels? Heather's on trial for violating the stay-at-home shutdown order so she can go to brunch. (laughs) That is so appropriate. Heather, I miss brunch with you. How about Jennifer Ayers? Well, she's in Colorado. She probably went snowboarding without a lift pass. Oh, is that that a serious offense? Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about snow sports. I don't either. (laughs) Snow sports. What are they called? Ice sports? Snow sports? It's a category of sports, right? I think they're called powder games. (laughs) That's not true. How about Austin Scroggins? Austin's on trial for speaking the truth. Yes, the capital T. For speaking truth to power. Yes. How about Breanne Brown? She tried to throw the local election so she could become the mayor of Cleveland. (laughs) And last but not least, Josh Bailey. Some egregious Animal Crossing offense. 
Oh. Like maybe he got some code off the dark web that gives you unlimited butterflies or whatever the currency is in that game. You are not far off from the things that are actually happening in the Animal Crossing world. Wow. Is there some dirty pool going on? There's like some dirty hacker shit happening. What? Yup. And also people, like the less egregious thing is that sometimes people do what's called time traveling in Animal Crossing, which is when you set your switch to be like 10 years in the future and accrue a bunch of interest on the money in your bank account. It's kind of like, I don't personally condone it, time traveling, but you know, you Mm. do you. Very good. So good. Okay, so it's time for winners and losers. I want to hear your winner first. Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore! He is the winner because of the way that he treats Harry. Mm -hmm. When Harry comes to his office. The calm and kind way that he talks to them. Yeah. And especially for his remarks about Neville's parents and, hey, you know, please don't spread Neville's business around. We just see a compassionate, yeah, pragmatic Dumbledore in chapter 30. We definitely do. What a great Dumbledore chapter. And I'm not easy on Dumbledore. You're not. I'm usually calling him the puppet master and this yeah. sort of thing, but you shouldn't be he shines easy on pretty Dumbledore. good. Absolutely. I think it's a great Dumbledore chapter. So my winner, Sirius Black. Mm. We don't see much of him in these two chapters. We see this letter in response. And Harry gets a little defensive, a little bent out of shape about this letter, which is another thing we didn't really go into. But Sirius's letter, yes, it's a little finger waggy. But ultimately, he gives Harry clear, concise, actionable advice. Practice stunning spells, practice disarming, keep Ron and Hermione close. He's just, he's giving him a really clear message in a time when I think Harry needs a really clear direction. So go serious. Way to be a good godfather. I also like how he says... Write me back and promise me you won't go wandering off anymore. I know. Sirius is also such a drama queen. <laughs> like, he really is. Okay, now who is your loser? Peter Pettigrew. Well, always. Because <laughs> he's a trading son of a bitch, and he started a lot of this mess. Fucking Wormtail. The worst. I don't think he should be tortured because I'm not... I don't support torture. Sure. I'm not about that life. Sure. But I also don't like the guy. I wish he was still just a rat in Ron's pocket. Scabbers. I know. My pick. Cornelius Fudge. Mm. Mm, For being a bigoted (laughs) a-hole. Right? Like, he's going to suggest that Madame Maxime had something to do with whatever has happened to Crouch simply because Rita Skeeter suggested that she's half giant. Mm. Like, F that guy. He's fudging the facts anyway. He's Also, his name is Fudge. Like, I know. what a lump of poop. poop. <laughs> what a doofus. Oh my God. End of show announcements. As always, here's where you can find out more about us from us. Here's our social media stuff. Twitter at 
fox and foxhound. No these, no those. No thys, now thous. No that what? No thys, no these, no thous. There you go. Yes. Instagram at the fox and the foxhound. Thus are allowed there. So that's good. Facebook.com slash the fox and the foxhound. The fox and the foxhound.com. The fox and the foxhound at gmail.com. Send us your questions. Send us your audio file questions. What about that voicemail line? What about that voicemail line? 910-297-8065. If you don't live in the U.S., punch a bunch of numbers first. Don't do that. Just punch a one. It's just a one. He always says this. If you are interested in Zooming with us, joining us at the three Zoom sticks, if you will, all you got to do is hit us up on one of those channels. Just send us a message. Mention that you're interested in Zoom. I will add you to the contact group. As long as I have your email address, I can do it. We're hoping that on the next three Zoom sticks Zoom chat that Ben is going to feed a rat to Gerald. On live camera. on camera. We're hoping. Ben. I hope it's Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> I would totally be okay with that because F that guy. And also be sure to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. It's how our show survives. And we have really built some awesome friendships and relationships with our Patreon family. Yeah. And one thing it allows us to do is have all of our episodes yeah, so that you can go back and listen to all of them from the beginning. Exactly. Because some people don't realize like you only get so much memory so to speak that you're allowed exactly so there are some podcasts that i really love that i can't go back chronologically and listen from day one exactly because they only have so much space that they have available exactly and so this allows us to have our full archive so that you can listen to it in a row it does it allows us to maintain our website it allows us to have the equipment that allows us to record the show. The show literally couldn't happen without Patreon. And we have plans in the works for trips. You know, when the world is back to normal and our Patreon family is absolutely going to be so, so integral yeah. to Once the Dark happen. Lord has finally My God. taken us all over. Jeez. We're all Death Eaters. There's some heavy talk in this household of making our way to jolly old England. As soon as we possibly can. Yep, where we will cosplay as Neville Longbottom's batshit crazy no, parents. No, we will not. That is never going to happen. You need to let that go. Special thanks to Judson Hurd, our composer, and Joshua J. Bay Bailey, who I got to see in the flesh last night. With a handsome beard. Just a really damn good quarantined beard. It was our first face-to-face -face hangout, not since all of this started, but... In what, a month and a half? Yeah, at least six oh weeks. Oh, my God. And so it was so nice. We played Animal Crossing, like, not on the same Switch. We each had our own Switch playing Animal Crossing and, like, talking. Which, when you told me that, plane. I was like, so <laughs> you guys play Animal Crossing with each other when you're not in the same house. <laughs> then when you finally get to see each other, you're both playing Animal Crossing. Yeah. You're trading radishes on islands and we talking to armadillo shopkeepers. and Wait, There are no radishes. You're thinking of turnips. And I went way. to sleep at 8 o'clock. You did. You <laughs> fell asleep at 8 o'clock because allergies. Yeah. Okay. I want you to start with dad jokes. So this has to do with the Triwizard Tournament. Okay. So apparently the next challenge that Harry has to face in the Triwizard Tournament is that he's put in this maze 
with all these other kids Mm -hmm. and who else knows what kind of creatures and stuff. And he has a limited amount of time to find a private place to take a poop. (laughs) It's called the turd task. (laughs) You know me so well because I said to you earlier, I'm really excited about my dad joke this week. And you said, I don't think mine's very good, but I think you're going to like it. And I love toilet (laughs) humor. (laughs) That's so good. Oh, my God. Okay, so my joke is actually not specifically related to these two chapters, but it popped into my head today and it made me giggle. Why did Vernon Dursley have a bagel for breakfast this morning? I don't know. Why? Because there's no toast on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why. That might be one of my favorites. (laughs) I'm so glad. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm now crying. I've cried from sadness and I've cried from laughter in this episode. That's fantastic. We will be back next week with the turd task. And what? The flesh bone in the eyeball. What's it called? (laughs) Flesh, God, flesh, and guns. What's it called? No shoes, no shirt, no problem. No. Stop making me laugh. It's called flesh, blood, and bone. (laughs) Chapter 32. No shoes, no shirt, no problem. No. It's called flesh, blood, and bone. Now, that's assuming that it's not a single chapter episode next week. Mm. You know, that we don't just cover the third task next week. I think the third task and flesh, blood, and bone are two really good chapters to go together. I will warn you, it's going to be a lot to process mm. for both of those chapters. But I I mean, I, I think we could do it. We'll just kind of see how you're feeling when you dive into chapter 31, the third task. Are you excited for the end of this book? Or are you dreading it? I think that like the S is going to hit the fan. True. At the end of this book. But I'm kind of sad because damn. We're finished with the fourth book after I know, this. I know. But then I get to watch the movie. Then you get which to watch fun. the movie. Yes. And the very next book is the longest book of the series. So we'll be there for a really? while. Really? Yes. And that's the Order of the Weenus. The Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Damn, I, that's gotta be a thick one. It's a thick one. <laughs> I'm like 10 years old. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye.